Hi everybody, I'm Jeannie Faulkner and this is Common Sense Pregnancy, Parenting and the Power to Change the World, CSP3. I'm the author of Common Sense Pregnancy, published by Random House last summer. I'm also the author of Fit Pregnancy's Ask the Labor Nurse blog. That's because I spent about 20 years as a labor nurse. So why a podcast? Because there's so much more to say than I could fit in my book. So today I want to talk about the emotional elements that come with pregnancy. From what we see in the media, you'd think that women are either 100% delighted to be pregnant or 100% devastated. In real life, many women, I'd say maybe most women, find themselves somewhere in between those two poles on any given day. Even women who've been trying to get pregnant can feel ambivalent, annoyed, and sad at some stage of her pregnancy, and that's entirely normal. I wrote about this for Fit Pregnancy a long time ago, and I still get emails from women who say, thank you. This uh, blog post was called, When You Don't Love Being Pregnant. Here goes. Alana is 13 weeks pregnant with twins. It's her first pregnancy and a planned one, but um, she's caught by surprise. Not just because she's having two babies, but because she's feeling ambivalent about becoming a mother. She always thought she'd feel excited about being pregnant, and that's not how she feels at all. It's not that she's sad or upset about it. She just feels kind of meh. Alana wants to know if this is normal, and she suspects not many women feel this way. Alana, not only is it normal to feel not excited during your first trimester, it's extremely common. I get letters like yours all the time. Many midwives, mothers, and old wives label pregnancies three trimesters dreary, cheery, and weary. There's room for lots of overlap and regression too, so don't think it's abnormal that you're in your second trimester and still feeling blah. Don't be surprised if next week you feel on top of the world, then the week after that you're down in the dumps. Pregnancy is unpredictable like that. Your body is changing rapidly. Your hormones are all over the place. You're tired, you're nervous, you're worried, and you're growing a couple brains in your belly. It'd be abnormal if you didn't feel a little ambivalence. Girls grow up dreaming that pregnancy is going to be one of the biggest high points in their lives. The reality is many women just plain old don't feel good, especially during the early months. Some women have good weeks and bad weeks right up to their due dates and their physical and mental well-being might flip back and forth on an hourly basis between feeling happy and feeling crappy. Plus, no matter how welcome that baby is, there's no getting around the fact that having a baby changes everything. I think this fact sometimes hits women who are really happy with their pre-pregnancy lives, careers, marriages, families, even more than other women. Women wonder, will I still be happy? Will there still be room for my love life, for fun, friends, work, for me once the baby comes? The answer to all those questions is a resounding yes, it's just going to take a while to adjust, that's all. The second trimester is the cheery one because most women are over the hormonal morning sickness funk of the first trimester. The baby starts kicking, your body looks pregnant, not just heavy, and your energy level returns to more or less normal. There's also the extra added bonus plus of a surging sex drive that kicks a lot of pregnant women into the feel-good zone. But what if you don't feel cheery? Is that normal? Yep, normal. 
There really are no hard set templates for how you'll feel during pregnancy. It's a smash up of hormones, body changes, life stressors, and health factors that impact each woman uniquely. Even different pregnancies can feel entirely different to the same mother. She might feel great with her first, lousy with her second, thrilled with her third, and resigned with her fourth. Or she might be one of those lucky women who feel on top of the world each and every time. Like I said, pregnancy is unpredictable. Are you normal? Absolutely. Will you love your babies? Guaranteed. Will you also feel weepy, irritable, giddy, silly, and sad? Every one of those emotions and about a hundred more are absolutely par for the course. You're going through an extreme experience like nothing you've ever been through before. You need a lot of emotions for that. Most people operate within a very narrow range of feelings. They do happy, sad, mad, guilty, fear, disgust, and surprise. But that's just the starter pack. We've also got curious, anxious, joyful, shame, regret, confusion, resentment, delight, thrills, excitement, and so many more. We don't even have names for all the emotions we're capable of feeling. I suspect, Alana, that you'll be feeling more upbeat within the next few weeks. If you're not, that's still normal. At what point should you worry? Worry isn't one of our more useful emotions. While sometimes it's an indicator that you need to make a few changes, most of the time, worry is like an annoying mosquito buzzing around our brains and messing us up. If you feel your mood sinking, you're overwhelmed, sad, or you think you're going to hurt yourself, those are signs of depression and then you can worry. Postpartum depression gets a lot of attention, but some women experience depression during pregnancy itself. Tell your partner and family. Talk to your midwife or doctor. Then. Go find a therapist, doula, and a grandmother and get all sorts of, of support, insight, and information about the range of experiences and emotions you're feeling. If that's not enough, you might be among those women who need more advanced support like antidepressants. Frankly, Alana, I don't think you need to worry about that at all and I su suspect you don't fall into this group. Just give it some time, get some rest, do kind things for yourself every day and expect good things to happen soon. So what I want to do now is I want to get a friend of mine on the phone who is newly pregnant and very well known for being honest about all the complex emotions women experience. My friend is Jen Pasteloff. Let's give her a call. Hi Jen, it's Jeannie. Hi, hi. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm great, thank you. So, Jen, we have a lot to talk about. We do. Yeah. So, you have a complicated bio. I mean, with a lot of people, you can just kind of rattle it off. You know, this person is a MD and that person is an accountant. But you're an author, a yoga professional, a public speaker, and a whole lot more. And um, it's so individual and multifaceted. I think you should introduce yourself. Well, hello there. <laughs> <laughs> my name is Jen Pasilov, and let me see, how can I do this? I, I can read my Instagram. Follow me on Instagram at Jen Pasilov. My bio there, or my little profile says, Waymaker, Rule Breaker, Shame Buster, Bullshit Eliminator, Lip Reader, and um, Truth Teller. So, yoga professional, I don't know about that. I teach a couple yoga classes. <laughs> But um, I use yoga in my workshops. I just lead around the world that uh, combine yoga and writing. You've been. Mm -hmm. I use yoga to get the body, to get people connected to their body, to get them more vulnerable and open and to give it a context. Um, I am a writer. And I 
encourage people to defy the idea that we need to fit into categories. So it's always challenging because I really don't fit into one. So it's always like, walk the talk, Jen. But it is hard to describe what I do. I usually just say I'm a writer. <laughs> um, but I suppose a lot of people think of me as a sort of motivational speaker in a way. Yeah. Yeah kind of thing, you know, with my online platform and what I do in person. And then I, I created um, an empowerment movement for young girls called Girl Power, You Are Enough, which pretty much is what I'm doing with adults, just trying to get at them younger with this message. So I do a lot. You do. You do a lot. And yet here I am in my bed on a, I don't know, Tuesday at 3.30. So. Well, you know what? <laughs> I, I call myself a writer too. And yet, it's sort of a lame title for all the different facets of what goes into my career. And exactly. Uh, it works, <laughs> but, but the writer part means that we get to be, you know, in our, I'm in my home office on my little couch, exactly. making a podcast <laughs> with you, wearing my sneakers. It's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, there's my phone making a little ding. Turn off the sound. So you and I met through a mutual friend a um, couple years or more ago. And she knew that you were going through a rough time with your first pregnancy. And she recommended that we chat since I have the labor and delivery nurse thing going on. Um, and you were dealing with a lot at that time. Are you okay talking about it? Yeah. I mean, it's it's interesting. It wasn't so much as, hmm, how can I word this? I am very vocal about about my thoughts on like having having kids or not having kids and how perfectly fine it is and okay if people choose not to. And I, I thought I was in that camp. And a couple years ago, I started feeling pressure from people, um, society, you know, you, you should start trying, you should start trying. And I, I didn't really know what I wanted. I didn't think I, I didn't think I did, but I wasn't a hundred percent sure. So I thought, and, naively, and you were about 38 then? Yes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I thought naively, okay, all my friends and all the professionals <laughs> say it'll probably take a year. It'll probably be really hard. You better start trying all the fear. So, um, my husband and I tried one time and I got pregnant and <laughs> mind you, I had literally like that week just got off antidepressants. So I find out I'm pregnant. I didn't really want to be, it was more just like, I could say I've been trying, you know, like, ridiculous. And, and then finding out I'm pregnant on, uh, in this mental state I was in, um, and so I was not excited to be pregnant, but you know, eventually I was like, all right, I'm sure I'll come around. And I think that's why she connected us. Um, I was scared. I was, I was anxious. I was depressed. Yeah. And then, um, we did that podcast together. Um, and I, it's funny because I think when, when I originally did the pot, we, or not podcast, whatever, it was like some, some did a video thing. Video. Yeah. Uh, I don't think I was pregnant when I first got asked to do that. I think it was about body image. <laughs> and then it turned out I was pregnant. Yeah. Um, but then the complication came because it ended up being ectopic. Yeah. Which, you know, we can... I, I think that um, we'll talk a little bit more about what it means to have an ectopic pregnancy um, offline. Um, but But that really was... I think for me, what I remember the most was the ambivalence. And I hope that I let you know at that time how completely normal that is. You during, did. During you did. Any, oh, good. Good. You but, but, you know, it... Um, so, you did. And I... 
and when it was a topic, I, I wrote an essay about it that was, you know, pretty uh, truthful. And I talked in it about the, you know, a little bit of grief, but really the relief. Um, because I still didn't know what I wanted. And I thought, like, I really thought there'd be a moment of clarity. And I think for a lot of women there is. You know, I, I know I want kids. I know I do not want kids, one or the other. And I... And I think it's a lot of it is personality and just in general, I have a hard time making decisions and with anxiety. So, um, <laughs> and there's the such only... a cornucopia of options out there in the world. How can you choose? Well, you, I couldn't. And yeah. so what I did was I decided that I was going to let it be as it were. And that's exactly what I did. And literally the minute I said that I got pregnant and it took that happening to two years later um, and in the interim after I had the ectopic and then I broke my foot, I went back on antidepressants because I realized um, I needed to be, you know, mm -hmm. I'm clinically depressed and it, it doesn't work for me at all being off. So I will be going off. I'm on Prozac. I will be going off soon. So, you know, I'll be needing support then, I'm sure. And yeah. I'm really open and honest about that because I, it's not something I hear a lot of people talking about, especially not a yoga teacher. <laughs> oh, I know. I know. That's, I think that that's one of the most, um, the, I don't know if brave is the right word, but it's one of the things that I appreciate about you most is there are, you know, thousands of American women who are on antidepressants before, during, and after their pregnancies. Um, if not millions even. I don't know what the number is. I don't either, but but it's just not something that we talk about. And I thought, you know what? If I can help one person not be as afraid as I was. So, so you know, the ambivalence was still there. It was still there, but this time when I was pregnant, I didn't freak out like two years ago. And then... You know, uh, I had all I had a big scare a few weeks ago because I, I had some testing done and it turned out the baby might have a genetic disease. So I had to have a CVS, which is like an amnio when you're in your early stages. And it was terrifying, but everything turned out good. And now I'm really, really excited. And I'm really vocal still, though, about my how ambivalent I was and how I didn't know. And this just happened. And um how it's not OK to just, you know, assume that a woman wants or can have children. I I can't tell you how much I appreciate you saying that. I think the ambivalence thing is so, um, you know, women don't talk about it. I know that, you know, I've, I've delivered, I've got a bunch of kids and I know. <laughs> half the time when I found out that I was pregnant, um, and it was the times where I hadn't planned that pregnancy, my initial feeling was not elation. Matter of fact, I think I cried with just overwhelm and oh my god and how did you know right, right all of it and, all of it yeah I mean I think look I think there's people who who are going through IVF and who are trying and trying and trying and that was not obviously for you that was not your circumstance and that was not mine mm -hmm. but and that I understand the absolute elation but you know when you're in a situation like I am where you're living in a one-bedroom apartment and you're 40 and you travel for a living and and you already have a very indecisive personality and deal with depression and there's every you know there's every um viable reason that says don't for me the only way it was going to happen is if it just happened yeah <laughs> like magic yeah and and it did i mean it was like it was i knew if i had to do ivf if i had to do any of that 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 was my my sign that was going to say not for you you know yeah yeah and yet some little being decided that yeah, he was for you. He did decide that, and now I couldn't. I couldn't be 
you know, happier and I'm so excited and I'm oddly um, calm. Like, I, I really don't have any idea what I'm going to do and I don't know if it's the hormones or what have you, but I'm like really grounded and calm and not worried about it. I really um, have that deep belief that it's going to be okay. And I'm excited because I feel like there's a plethora of things for me to talk about now in my writing and in my, with my, you know, quote unquote following and my Instagram and the, it's really a whole new world has opened up. Yeah. Yeah. You're entering an exclusive club. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. The, the sisterhood and motherhood. Yeah. But, and also with the angle with, with my, um, you know, kind of truth telling in a way that of course there are some people, but, but not many, I think really just telling the truth about certain things. Yeah. We love that about you, Jen. Well, thanks. It's a, you know, there's always going to be someone that's pissed off and, and not agree with me. But then if there wasn't, I, I'm not doing something right. So. Right. And, you know, you're, you'll you'll find that some of the subjects that come up with pregnancy and, and being a mom can be some of the most contentious, especially online. Oh, my God. Oh, it's, it's terrible. And yeah. the other day I posted on my personal Facebook, I go, I hate mean people. Um, unsolicited advice and bell peppers. I've gotten uh, more unsolicited advice lately. It's insane. Yeah. And so, like, that's, I'm not looking forward to that. Yeah. Or people touching my belly, you know, that kind of thing. That's weird to me, unless it's like you know me and you ask me. Yeah. You know how people just like, I'm not showing it besides my chest, but like, I'm not, I'm not looking forward to that. Yeah. So, I, I've had conversations with countless women about those two things. And, what can you do about it? And, you know, it it's so culturally ingrained that people want to share in your experience um, and they want to share their experience and they do it sometimes inappropriately by telling you the scary stuff that happened to them or touching you, you know, when you're not asking for it or um, giving you advice or they'll come at you and say, oh, well, you better do this and this now because once you have that kid, honey, you know, it's oh my god, that that's that's actually probably the thing I get the most, especially because of my lifestyle, because of how much I travel and you know, and the way I'm like I'm in my bed in the middle of the day, and yeah. so it's like there's like that fear. I better do it now. Yeah. You better you better travel now. You better write that book now. You better do everything now because once that baby comes, forget it. Yeah, <laughs> you know what I say to that? Bullshit, yeah. bullshit. Yeah. You'll find a way to do whatever you want to do. I agree. Yeah, and babies are so portable. I know. I have an Italy retreat in September, the end of September, and the babies do June around June fourth. So, hey. Yeah, yeah. And you know, you're in a you're in a married relationship, so mm-hmm. you've you've got a co-parent. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I do yeah. for sure, and he's great. Yeah. God, I couldn't do it alone. I mean, I bow down to people that do it alone because already, like, even going through the testing I went through and the emotional stuff, I, it's amazing to me to think that people go through this. And I know people have friends and everything, but I, I feel very grateful. And I just bow down to single parents. Me too. I'm so grateful to have my husband to pass off to. Yeah. I, I have vivid memories of the very early days of being a first-time mom and, um, you know, he was back at work and I was home with the baby and he would walk in the door at five, six o'clock and I would hand the baby over to him and walk out the door. That's hilarious. Walk, you know, just, I needed that kind of actual break where, 
You, you did the pass and I took off for a little bit. And then when I came back, we could do it together. I love it. Yeah, yeah. So that may be your solution right there. You'll figure it out. Figuring it out. That's yeah. what I plan to do. Because, you know, I've, I've learned by now that the myth of control is exactly that, a myth. Mm -hmm. And so um, I'm going to save a little bit of time and, and trying to control all the scenarios in my mind before they happen. Yeah. And the myth of control also comes down to you don't actually know who you are having. You know, that, that myth of control extends all the way through your parenting years. Yeah. And, and a lot of parents, especially maybe, I don't know, especially nothing, but a lot of parents think that it is all about your parenting style or your lifestyle or the incidences that happen in your child's life that make or break him as a human being. And I think that that's actually sort of the least of it. I think mm -hmm. that, you know, kids are born who they are. Yeah. And it's just our job as their parents, as their mothers, to guide them into being that person. Yeah. No, I, I agree with you. Yeah. Yeah. So you had a big week. You were on stage last week with Lena Dunham. I was. That was pretty great. Mm -hmm. So tell me, what was that event? It was a variety a talent show, and um, it was the host of it was something called the Allied Coalition, and it was a fundraiser for homeless youth, um, lesbian, gay, trans, homeless youth. And mm -hmm. so a bunch of people, Lena um, and her boyfriend, who's an amazing singer named Jack Antonoff, he blew me away. He's in a group called The Bleachers, and um, Sarah Bareilles, and Elle King, and... Um, Fred Armisen, who's, you know, on know Portlandia. I couldn't live in Portland without knowing who he is. Yeah, I know. Because I, I showed a few of my friends. I, mean, I thought everyone in the world knows him. And um, and one friend was like, oh, oh, wait, was he on Saturday Night Live? I'm like, well, yeah, but Portlandia. <laughs> um, and, you know, just there was just Kevin Devine. There was just some in incredible, incredible talent. Jacqueline Novak, just a bunch of comedians and, and um singers and and then there was me who lena invited me to come you know she she said you know do you want to do a story or monologue and i i read from i kind of did a mashup i read from a book i'm in called shades of blue which is an anthology on uh, depression mm -hmm. so i read about depression and you know telling the truth about that about being a quote-unquote inspirational figure not that i would ever barf call myself that but people call me that and mm -hmm. you know so being being that and struggling with depression and meds and then I kind of mashed it up with this other thing about how most of us feel like frauds and like we're never doing enough and that's a crack of shit and um what if we saw ourselves the way others saw us and so I just mashed up you know sort of this idea of being human that I talk about in my workshops a lot and she introduced me and stayed on stage with me and it was really um it was absolutely incredible and one of the best nights of my life. And it felt utterly natural being up there. So I thought that was a really cool thing yeah. that it felt so natural, you know. So I saw a little a clip from that where you were on stage with Lena Dunham and you, you essentially boiled your message down to two statements. Don't be an asshole and how can I serve? Yeah. And well, you, you okay, because I did see your, you sent me a little email first and uh, I, but I did also, I didn't know what she was going to ask me. So, of course, after, I was like, I have a million things I could have said. Um, but the, actually, the most important one was I also said, um, 
you know, I have this quote, which is at the end of my life, when I ask one final, what have I done? Let my answer be, I have done love. And so I said, I said, the, I have done love is the most important thing and not, and not to, you know, be confused that it's our job or being on stage here or our car or downward dog that matters at the end of the day, it's love. So, so that this is a side note though, and we yes. can come back to it, but I want to know why do you say I have done love instead of I have loved? Oh, um, because it comes from an essay and the title of the essay, it all ties in, but the title of the essay was what have I done? And that was a recurring theme um, throughout the the essay, which was like, how did I get here? What have I done? And so the last line, it says, um, in the end of my life, when I ask one final, what have I done? So I'm just trying to match the language. I have done love. Uh, I get uh, it. I, I've done Facebook. I've done, you know, a really lot of money, you know. Um, I have done love. I love it. And, and you know what? It really works. It works as a tagline. It's, I, I just think it sounds better. I have loved is so common. I have done love. It's mine. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah. It. I love that. So tell me about Don't Be an Asshole and How Can I Serve? So Don't Be an Asshole started, it was just sort of like a joke. Um, but it's really a way to, with a sense of humor, hold ourselves accountable to be better versions of ourselves, you know, and be kind and, and to not be an asshole. And I think it's, I just think it's so important. Um not to not to be an asshole to ourselves or out there, you know. Yeah. It's not about calling anyone else an asshole. It's really it's really being kind, you know, and, and being the person you say you are. And then how may I serve really is is what I learned from Wayne Dyer about living living your life being of service. Mm-hmm. And I think it's it's so important to wake up every day and ask that, how may I serve? How may I serve? And I do, I do think that those those are the there's a lot of messages. Um when Lena asked me to come she said you know the audience needs your message and immediately I was like which one <laughs> but um but they, they all they all really tie in together yeah yeah so Wayne D- Dwyer was um he had a little bit of a, a foresight where you're concerned didn't he well he you know he um he has eight kids mm-hmm. <laughs> and a bunch of them I'm good friends with and he um he asked me about um, like a year a year ago October if I had kids and I told him I'd had the ectopic and I didn't think I was going to I didn't know and he said well it's not up to you anyway <laughs> but you know he's he was he passed away in um, August yeah, and yeah. he's very spiritual and, and that's that is what he would say you know yeah. so it was it was pretty awesome that he actually said it to me but it, that's his beliefs, you know, are really, um, sure. Yeah. So really all about God. So I want to know more about girl power. You are enough. Well, it, um, I started, you know, I do these workshops all around and so maybe that's a good place to start is tell me about the workshops and retreats. The workshops and retreats started, I started, um, teaching yoga, even though I, I didn't want to be a yoga teacher, but I sort of had this nervous breakdown. I had been waitressing at the same place for 13 years and I, um, my friend suggested become a yoga teacher and I didn't want to. And then I went on antidepressants and all of a sudden life seemed a little more bearable. And I thought maybe I will do a yoga teacher training. And I did, and I still didn't want to be a yoga teacher, but I taught one class and I was like, Hmm, I'm good at this. And I, I quickly got successful by that, meaning I could quit the restaurant. Um, it's not because I'm spectacular at yoga, because I'm, I'm not at all. 
but I'm a good teacher. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, that's what I always thought I would do. I thought it would be in academia, though. But um, anyway, so then I started getting really creative, and I started coming back to my writing, which is what I always had done at NYU and Bucknell and, and always since I'm a child writing. So I started getting back to my writing and developing this kind of following on Facebook. It started and writing blogs and, and, and stuff. And, um, I started combining the yoga with the writing in a workshop. And then I just expanded on it and got more creative and more, um, nonlinear and traveling around with it and somehow I do it and I sell out everywhere I go and it's a miracle and I never quite understand how it happened because you can't even really describe it or what to call it <laughs> but it involves you know sharing out loud and getting out of your comfort zone or sometimes singing and dancing and using your body and um talking about your fears and letting go and it's just this beautiful human experience so young girls I noticed started coming more and more. And I always had the idea I would love to work with, with girls. And they just started showing up. And I thought, that's funny. Like their moms were sending them. Mm-hmm. You know, how old are you guys? 16? How, how are you here? My mom follows you. Okay. So I They came my... without their moms? Yes. Hmm. Yes. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think because like especially if the mom follows me or has been in my workshop they know that their daughters will open up more if they're not in the room oh yeah um so true yeah and then the moms trust me they follow me and they they are digging what i'm doing Mm -hmm. they're picking up what i'm putting down and Mm -hmm. you know and they want it for their daughters yeah and you know what i I, unsolicited advice i get probably like i haven't this week but i always get messages about how i should clean up my language or fun and work with young girls. And, and then I, you know, I feel bad about myself and I think about it and then I think it's bullshit because yeah. it, it just is, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to change how I talk. I will try to drop fewer F-bombs, but that's what they love about me, the girls. Yeah. That I talk to them just like I talk to any of my friends. And you know what? That's, they know, they know those words. Shit, fuck, and all the rest are just part of the common cultural vernacular. We can use them, especially if we use them appropriately. Even yeah, like, women. Yeah. No, just like the don't be an asshole thing. I'm not going to stop yeah. saying that just because they're teenagers. So I was with my friend in Princeton. She owns a yoga studio. And I said, you know, I really want to do – these girls are coming. I want to do a workshop just for girls. And she said, oh, well, I did a yoga workshop for girls. I called it Girl Power. And I said, I love that. And, and then I said, let's think of a subtitle. And I, I thought, you are enough. Because what I realized in my workshops um, with adults is that that was a common thread through every workshop and almost every person. And somewhere or another, the message that they were sharing was they didn't feel like they were enough. And even I, I have this, I'm on this um, thing called 108 TV. I have a bunch of yoga classes and some meditations. My one called You Are Enough, thousands of downloads. Anytime I post that, thousands of likes. That really resonates with people. Hmm. And so I struck a nerve. And then I decided, okay, I didn't really know how I was going to do it. Um, how much was I going to have to change? And truth be told, it's pretty much the same exact workshop I do with adults. Um, so I've only done two so far. And one was a bit easier. One was 13 and up and one was 16 and up. And the older girls were a bit easier. And I may from now on just do 16 and up because mm-hmm. um, it was it was they were easier to access a bit and more willing to be vulnerable and not as self-conscious. And um, I, I just think it was... 
I don't know. I'm still experimenting. I think that the 13, 14, 15 years are so just exquisitely self-conscious years. You know, I mean, it, it was it developmentally. Was wild. That's where they're at. It was wild. And but I'll tell you, the you are enough. I mean, the same thing, the same thing. They're saying the same things as the adults were saying. And, um, you know, just this obsession with caring what people think that does not go away in adulthood for a lot of people. Right. So the workshops are, you know, the workshops. And then I created an Instagram and there's an online movement. And it's really something that I want to just keep going and spread this idea of empowerment. And I have some, you know, girl power, you are enough commandments. And it's about the the nobleness, nobility of being a good friend and of lifting other women up and of having these, you know, sacred friendships and sisterhood instead of jealousy and comparison and not basing your self-worth on what you look like or your Instagram likes or your weight and not gossiping or creating drama, you know, all these, these, um, these ideas that are, I don't know, I think important for all of us, but young people, especially. Yeah. Yeah. Mostly women, mostly women are attracted to your message. I know that when I came to your workshop in Seattle, my husband came with me and he was the only guy there. It's often like that. I Mm -hmm. mean, I love my retreats that are all women. My, um, I, I do, I do one with Lydia Yuknovich, who's a Portland-based author, a wonderful, wonderful writer, and ours are always all women, and it's magic. The reason I don't make my workshop all women is because lately, especially, there are one, two, three men. I did one in LA two days ago, and there was one guy, and I don't. I don't want to make it unavailable to him. Mm-hmm. And it really was beautiful having him there. And just mm-hmm. like when your husband came. And so, um, I, I, and I think it reminds us all what's possible to watch. Oh yeah. Look at how vulnerable a man is willing to be, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You don't want it to be so exclusive that you sh- shut out some real beauty. No, but, but some of the, some of the retreats, like the overnight ones, it does work better just to have women Mm -hmm. and I and I do love working with just women I love it I love it and it's so funny to see how how people a lot of people are programmed like oh my god you lead retreats with women that must be so hard so bitchy and (laughs) no that's never that's I've never had that experience you know isn't that funny oh you know so many things are cliche yeah 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 so so the workshops the the public speaking, all of it came out of manifestation. And in fact, that's what you call your website, Manifest Station. Yeah. So for those who don't understand what that is, let's explain. Um, I really, I really owe it to Wayne Dyer. I was waitressing and I was miserable. You know, I don't know if you guys listening can visualize, you know, 13 years at the same restaurant. Now, that's not necessarily a bad thing. I'm not, I bow down. Just like I bow down to single moms, I bow down to servers. Mm-hmm. But to be 13 years in the same restaurant when you are miserable and when you want to be creating and you're not, you, you, you're you like a walking dead person, you know. Um, I was just stuck. So I was miserable. So I would listen to Wayne on my iPod at the time, my iPod. And um, as I would take these walks after work by the ocean, I lived by the ocean. My mom had been recommending him and I rolled my eyes until I finally – heard him and then I became obsessed Mm -hmm. and I listened to him like every day and little by little what I realized is he started to change my life you know his it was like um it was like in my DNA 
Um, so when I finally did the yoga teacher training and then I finally led a retreat, I had no idea what I was doing. Literally, literally, I turned around to, I was in Ojai to like face the valley and I was like, let's, and this is really before the journaling. I think I had given them sticky notes, which a hairdresser of mine had given me that idea to like write, write what you're grateful for in a sticky note. And ever since then I've used sticky notes. I think I had sticky notes and I was like, let's meditate on and I'm facing the Ojai Valley and I'm going, I have no effing idea what I'm doing. And I said, let's meditate on what we're manif- manifesting. And as I said, it, my arm hair stood up and I thought, oh my God, that's what I've done. And then it was like I was being channeled. I was like, blah, 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 blah. and the rest is history. It's crazy. And I thought, wow, I mean, he really changed my life without me knowing it. So wait, he- I'm curious about something. When you say you were channeling, does that mean that all of a sudden the experience was happening through you rather than you making the experience happen? Um, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I always, I kind of always say I get channeled. I feel like, um, if you've ever seen me speak, you'll understand. It's it, like, even like if you're in a car with me beforehand, I'm like, uh, I'm not prepared or whatever I say. And then it's like, I start talking and it's like, it's coming from somewhere else. Yeah. So I don't know. That's how it feels to me. But what I think really is that it's I'm so connected and it's so um, true for me and I'm passionate about it and I can just, you know, like right now, I was literally like right before you called, I was in bed, my head hurt. I was like, I'm not even going to be able to talk. And then I started talking about something I care about or that's interesting and it's like, you know, I memorize a speech. You know what I mean? Yeah. So um, it feels like I'm being channeled. Um well, I often have, not often, but occasionally have the experience when I'm writing something where um, it will just come through me. And, you know, I write dozens of articles and blog posts and things like that per month. And <clears throat> I wouldn't say that most of them are channeled. But once in a while, there's that golden one where it just happens to you. Yeah. And I mean, all you got to do is get out of the way and type it. For sure. And a lot of writers talk about that. And, and, um, and that happens to me sometimes, but mm-hmm. I won't lie. Just like you're saying, it's not all the time. No. And, and, and I think sometimes, you know, I used to look for that and like wait for that. And I think that's BS. You know, I made a video once like, you know, don't wait for inspiration. Just write because yeah. I've been waiting for inspiration for a couple of years now. Yeah. But I've yeah, heard, that- I've heard, um, some younger writers or, or maybe they're writers who don't have to make their living this way, say that they never write anything unless it comes to them that way. And I think that is just such crap because it's work. Do the work. Well, it's also, it's nonsense. And it's like, it's completely um, negating the idea of craft and of of just like, you know. Dedication and skill. It's it's not true. So No, it's not true. But but when I'm speaking, I do feel channeled. And I I don't know. And, you know, but you know what's funny? Wayne always says his books are written that way, like Mm -hmm. through him being channeled. And Mm -hmm. who knows? That man was so holy and spiritual and connected that probably he was, you know. Well, I, I think a large part of what I've written in both my books, you know, the knowledge is mine, but the the writing of it. Many parts of it just happened. I love that. Yeah. I love it. I mean, imagine how wonderful it would be if that happened all the time every day, but that's not life. Oh, God, I would love that if it did. And actually, I structure my my work day so that I can encourage that to happen. I know that on the days when I meditate before I work, 
work comes easily. I mean, easier. Right. If it's a day where, you know, I'm taking kids to school and I'm walking the dog and I'm getting in, you know, doing a conference call and, you know, I, I miss that segment of my morning, the whole day feels like there's an extra weight of labor. And uh, that's my that's my way of dealing with it. Well, that, I mean, I think that meditation really encourages that, you know. I think that it, it encourages flow in everything. I mean, on the days that exactly. I meditate, it's easier to be me. It's easier to parent my children. It's easier to do my job. It's easier to be able to see how I can do God's work in the world. Exactly. Yeah. And I wish, wish, wish that I had started meditating and understanding that power at a much, much, much younger age. I wish. Me too. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, it happens when it happens, doesn't it? It does, you know, and and I guess all we can do is do it now. And it's certainly, for me, not easy. But I I think... um, I was thinking about that last night, how meditation is going to be so helpful for me once the baby is born. So I really need to get into a better, or let me not lie, a practice. Yeah, yeah. I know. (laughs) You know? I know. Of meditating. Yeah. I fall asleep, whatever. I don't know. I make up every excuse in the book, but but it's, um, I know, I know it's what I need. And It's a big help. Sure makes it easier. (laughs) (laughs) But but back to the manifestation thing that, that, you know, Wayne's talks were about like, you know, creating the life that you want and manifesting what you want. And although in the very beginning, it was like, I was basically like regurgitating everything he said. And then over the years, I found my own voice. And I thought, I believe in that. I don't resonate with that. That's not, you know. Mm -hmm. And then I just started doing my own thing. Mm -hmm. But I define manifesting as making shit happen. And so when I was that first retreat, when I was, you know, going, what the hell am I going to do? And then it came to me. Um, I had been miserable and just a couple months ago I was waitressing and like almost suicidal not quite but like in the darkest darkest place maybe I'll be a yoga teacher and here I am a couple months later 27 people come following me to listen to me and I was like you know what I I did this I manifested this yeah and so it's pretty great you know And, and my website um you can actually get their girlpoweryouareenough.com it redirects but it's um it's not woo woo or airy fairy at all it's really a literary magazine mm-hmm. but I, I kept that it's the manifest station um right. just to tie in with the the branding of, of manifestation but it's not at all about like you know what are you manifesting or or you know I mean once in a while there'll be a spiritual type of essay or what have you but it's it's really um nothing to do with that yeah well it's true to your roots it's what? It's true to your roots. Yeah, but I and I hardly write on it anymore. It's all other authors. It's really yeah. neat what it turned into. Yeah. So let's talk about your pregnancy a little bit more. Okay. Um What do you what is your prenatal care experience gonna be like? My prenatal care state, is that what you experience. Said? Oh, oh. So far it's been amazing i'm i'm at um cedar sinai which is here in los angeles and i wouldn't trade it for the world um Mm -hmm. i haven't really thought 
as so far as labor, um, most likely I am going to do it in the hospital with my doctor. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to go for the, you know, being a yoga teacher, people assume mm-hmm. and also want to give me every, you know, have it a bathtub and do, you know, do a home birth. And, um, and so I, I really have to stay like, I'm going to listen to myself. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I'm at Cedars and my doctors there are amazing. I never want to leave. And they, and they, they are attentive and kind and funny and on it and smart and. I wonder gentle. if I know them. Um, my 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 um, OBGYN his name is Doctor Sulky and I have a girl crush on her. I love her. Don't and know her. The guy who did my CVS, Doctor Williams, um, he's done thousands and thousands. He's been doing it since the seventies. He was just they're just amazing. And my regular doctor is there too, who's my favorite human on earth <laughs> for 20 years it's been my doctor I just I, I think that the doctors are have never experienced anything like them so and they're not paying me to say this I'm paying them <laughs> <laughs> yeah you are you're paying them so they're wonderful I love I write a lot in my book uh, actually you know kind of the premise of my book is the difference between a well-based pregnancy and a fear-based pregnancy and a well-based pregnancy is one where you're doing everything in your power to promote your health and it debunks the myth that health is something that is given to you by the medical establishment when in fact health is you know sort of everything else it's the way you live your life the way you nourish your body the way you treat your body that you know all of it um, including your community engagements your relationships um, your stress level all of that goes into making you healthy and well so much prenatal care um, is delivered in a fear-based model where you're constantly screened and evaluated for risks that may or may not apply to you. And for a lot of women, that pushes them down the road to feeling like they're very fragile or that they don't have any say in what happens to them. Right. And um, that's not to say that, you know, Many, many women need medical interventions. Thank God they're available. And, you know, you were mentioning the CVS, cryonic villi sampling, which is part of the um, genetic screening capabilities that we have now to find out whether or not um, your baby has some, you know, potentially life-threatening or life-altering genetic anomalies. Some women are into it. Some women are not into it. But a lot of women don't even realize that it's actually a choice. Right. Yeah. So I know that you have some, you know, family history that made it really important to you. Well, yeah. I, um, I, my sister has a son with Prader Willie syndrome, and so, you know, without a doubt, I was going to do as, as much genetic testing as mm-hmm. I could. And mm-hmm. then one of my best friends' babies died of son died of Tay-Sachs yeah. and I had the ectopic and there was just too much. There was yeah. just too much that I, you know, I've too much around me and my personal, and because of my sister and then my friend Emily, they both are really involved in the community. So I know a ton of people with kids with rare genetic diseases and mm-hmm. kids who've died. And so it was like, I, you know, that's kind of, I saw so much. So I, um, it, it, put, it put me off for a while. It definitely created a fear for me in, in having kids. My sister's life is pretty tough. Mm-hmm. And um, and watching Emily lose Ronan. And so um, it was kind of scary. Yeah. 
Yeah. So for you then, having this testing provided a lot of relief. It did until I got that news where they said, you know, and it was interesting because there was a, there was different numbers. You know, one person was like, the baby has 50% chance of having it. And 50% is a lot. And so yeah. I was so numb and, and I couldn't get out of bed. I wasn't crying. I was just numb. Mm-hmm. Um, and it turned out it wasn't 50%. I think it's, it was very, very complicated, you know, genetics is and the chromosomes. And so it, um, I had to get the CVS and the waiting period was really stressful, but they said two weeks and it wasn't, it was quicker. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And they, and they, and finally they called yesterday or two days ago with the full panel, they did like everything and there's a little hiccup and it's nothing that, you know, would cause me to terminate and it's nothing, but it's like, you know, a small hiccup that otherwise we would have never known about. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't, I don't know if it's a good thing or it's just interesting. It's like yeah. so much knowledge now. Yeah. You, know? you got to wonder, I mean, mm. do you really need all that knowledge? I mean, I, I'm not saying that I'm not trying to make it sound like I don't think people should have that knowledge. I'm just saying that once you have it, it no, can I, be, I get it. I totally yeah, it can be saying. real Pandora's box. But yeah. Mm. I mean, from, from, from now on though, it's just like, I have my, I have my, uh, you know, what do you call it? ultra blanking on an ultrasound next Thursday. And then I have another like second trimester screening in January, but there won't be any more, you know, as far as I know, invasive testing and, yeah. and the, you know, the CBS was pretty scary. I think it was more scary for my husband in the, which is the case I think with a lot of things, you know, mm-hmm. it's scarier for the person that's not going through it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think that, um, part of my definition for a fear-based pregnancy is also that, so much information is related to pregnant women in terms of risk values. And women will often hear, well, you're at increased risk for, you know, this complication. And sometimes increased, you know, risk, the increase is so minimal that it still means that you have a 99.5% chance that it's not going to happen to you. Right. But because it's presented to women as you have this risk, women become really frightened. Nobody, I mean, there is no time in your life, I think, when you feel more is at stake and more vulnerable at the same time as when you're pregnant and somebody says something that could potentially threaten your well-being and your baby's well-being. Oh, I, I mean, I completely agree with you. And and I think that it's that way with so, so much, you know, in life. And yeah. look at politics, you know, with fear, fear, fear. And I know. And with so much information that we have all the time, I think it's inevitable. Yeah. So I just really uh, encourage all women to just look at the chance that they're completely normal. And it's almost always the bigger number. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, you're going to have a good experience no matter what happens. I have so far. I yeah. really, you know, my sister's like, you, your skin is glowing. I had acne. No, I don't have that. And I haven't had one ounce of morning sickness. And I Lucky. feel <laughs> the best I've ever felt um, physically. Uh-huh. I just have huge boobs. So it's kind of uncomfortable. And I'm only three months in. So I, God knows what's going to happen in a few more. <laughs> but I feel really, really, really good. And I think, you know, I drink a lot. I drink a lot of um, wine and I'm not obviously drinking. And I think that's also helping, you know, just mm-hmm. how I'm like, wow, who knew? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is what it feels like to not have a headache. 
Um, so there's a lot of, um, you know, I have a little bit of coffee. Like this morning I have decaf mixed with a little bit of regular, but uh-huh. I was drinking so much coffee before. So like the lack of coffee, the lack of caffeine and alcohol and then the hormones, I just, I feel great. Good for you. I'm so happy to hear that. Yeah. Feel great. Thank you. Yeah. So I want I like to ask every mom that I talk to their take on the question. What's your family like right now, and where are you in your life as a mom? Well, okay, um, my hear- I don't have hearing aids, and you said, what is my family like or life? Like. What, what, what constitutes your family right now? Right now, um, my family is my husband and I, but we're both really close with our families. So, in fact, he talks to his parents in London every single day, and I'm so close with my sister and my nephews and my mom so family is a really important idea to us but right now in terms of you know our home it's just my husband and I Uh um and what was the next part what's it going to be like no where are you in your life as a mom oh I feel (laughs) I feel like I'm a mom to so many people because of sort of the role I've adopted and what I do as this you know listener the irony you know, that I'm mm-hmm. mostly deaf is funny, mm-hmm. but, um, it's not like I know what I'm doing any better than anyone else. Lord knows. But somehow, um, I feel like I'm, especially with my retreats and my workshops and I create these groups and they get so close. And so there's a maternal feeling. So I feel like a mom already in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I don't know, you know, I, I, it was, it was always hard to visualize myself as, like, even when I say my baby, it sounds really awkward. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, I sort of like when you learn to say my husband. <laughs> it, you know, it doesn't take as long. Mm-hmm. Um, but maybe it did. I don't remember. You know, we've been married almost six years. Um, I don't know. I, I, it's, it's weird. It definitely still feels awkward to me. Even mm-hmm. saying I'm pregnant, I get like, I, what? Ooh. No, I'm not. Not me. Ew, ew. <laughs> I don't like that word, actually. Isn't it weird? I don't know why the word makes me like, ooh. Yeah, it's just one of those words for you. Pregnant. I don't yeah. know. Yeah. But so I don't, I don't, I mean, it's a good question. I definitely, when I thought I wasn't having kids, it was funny because everyone, everyone was like, you're a mom already. You're so maternal. You're a mom to everyone. And, um, I do think there's something maternal about me. I, I try to take care of people. So emotionally, mainly. Um, I've always been very maternal and nurturing and taking care of a lot of people too. And prior to having children, I started having children at 27. Um, you know, people in our friend group would say, oh, you're the mom of the group. And it didn't bother me. And then after I had children and people would say the same thing to me, I felt really guarded about it. I felt like I'm not your mom. I am her mom, her mom, her mom, her mom, and his mom. Those that makes are the sense. People. I've heard people yeah. say that before. Yeah, and yeah. and the other that the relationship that I have where it's maternal and nurturing and caring um, for other people, that's a different relationship. Mm-hmm. And then in in a lot of the you know, professional and personal circles that I hang out, I'm older than a lot of people. You know, I'm and my kids are are older. So that puts me in this category of woman. How do you define her? Well, she's in a mom group. Therefore, you know, I'm, but I'm, I'm a lot more protective of that title than I ever was before children. Yeah, I'm their mom. Yeah. 
It makes yeah. a lot of sense. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'd be curious to do this again with you in in the summer, you know? And, and I, I mean, I'll be honest, I have no idea what I'm doing. I don't even have, you know, I have your book, and I was so grateful to get it because, Jeannie, that's the first pregnancy book I have. I was oh, so good, excited. I, good. I, like, read it all, you know? And I, you already read I it? I don't have, yeah, I mean, I read it, like, in the, in the you know how in the forward you said you could read it in chunks or read it straight through, yeah. so I read, like, I didn't quite read, like, the delivery, I read all the stuff up to, like, that was relevant yeah. for right now, Right. Um, but I don't, you know, I don't have, like, all the books people get, I have no idea what I'm doing, um, so. And somehow, really- <laughs> way before we had books, women still figured out how to do this thing, you know? <laughs> Yeah, no, it's funny. I guess it's just interesting because I'm older. Like, in my head, I'm like, I should know these things. And um, I'm okay with it. I'm, I am going to figure it out. But mm-hmm. it's um, it's funny because I really don't. I don't. I love children. Babies have always been like, eh, I could do without the baby. And now I'm like. <laughs> They're messy oh God, and noisy. <laughs> I've always joked, like, I re- yeah, I would love a kid. Like, two two years old can't they just come out like being two you know <laughs> so um yeah. and I've never been baby crazy I have some friends that are crazy for babies and I'm like eh babies are boring <laughs> <laughs> and then it's like people are like well wait, wait till it's your own you're not gonna think that yeah that's I you know cliche as it is that's probably true I'm sure of course yeah. so yeah. ready. our but own I'm babies like- are endlessly fascinating yeah, but especially especially after you have one, you yeah. know. I I think the reason I like children is because they engage more, you yeah. know, and the things they say. And um, but it's funny. I've been like lately feeling worried because I'm not. I mean, I've gained weight because I'm eating like a crazy person, um, literally. <laughs> and my boobs are huge, but my I'm not showing it. Like if you mm-hmm. saw me, you. Although this man on the plane asked me, it was so weird. I I kept getting up to pee, and I said, "Well, I'm pregnant." And he goes, "I was wondering," and I was like, "Okay, that's really weird because he's never met me, and no, and I don't look it." And he said, "Well, I'm a doctor. You just have this glow about you," which I thought was I don't know if he was pulling my leg or like, you know, I'm like, "What am I?" Because I don't think I look it. Like if you saw me, I mean, go look at the video I made today. You can't really tell. No, you can't but, really tell. But you know, if if somebody is in the business and they spend an awful lot of time with pregnant women, you know, you can pick up that vibe. So interesting. So, but my belly isn't showing yet. And so then all of a sudden, I'm like, I hope everything's okay. I hope everything, you know, because I don't look it yet. You know, you, you have this weird thing that some women have called abdominal tone. <laughs> you have um, you have stomach muscles. It's great. Uh, yeah. You may not show much, you know, for a long time. It's great. It's normal. It's fine. I don't, it's, no, I, oh, I, I don't have, like, a six-pack. I've always, it's funny because I've always had a pooch. That's where, I, oh, I mean, even when I was severely anorexic, maybe not that, but I've always, I always have, like, a little, that's where I carry my weight, you know, mm-hmm. and, and I suffer with a lot of um, indigest, uh, digestive issues, so sometimes I look pregnant. So I'm like, I, can't, I look no different than I do, and I'm really bloated. <laughs> <laughs> mm, how many weeks are you now? Um, they moved me up. I thought it, my due date was June 11th, so it, now it's June 4th. So I think I'm like 13. Wow. Wow. So, so you're going to have a Gemini. Yeah, they say. I mean, who knows? I've got one of those. June 9th. June 4th, they say. I yeah. mean, we'll see. We'll, yeah. we'll see. Yeah. I, you know. But, um, well, lady, we've been talking a good long time. Yes, it was great to talk to you. It was good to talk to you, too. Mama said there'll be days like this.
My guest today was Jen Pasteloff. You can learn more about Jen's work at jenniferpasteloff.com. Common Sense Pregnancy, Parenting, and Power podcast is produced by Alex Ward at Sounds Like Pictures Studios in Portland, Oregon. You can find my book, Common Sense Pregnancy, on Amazon.com, Barnes and Nobles, and everywhere books are sold. You can see more of my work on my website, jeanfaulkner.com. If you have questions, you can email me, jean at jeanfaulkner.com. Thanks for joining me on Common Sense Pregnancy Parenting Podcast, and please subscribe, share, and leave a rating on iTunes if you feel like it. Thanks for joining me. There is so much more to talk about. Today.